Support for WABE comes from the Community Foundation for Greater Atlanta. If you love Atlanta, you can invest in the big picture. Learn more at cfgreateratlanta.org. I'm Erlon Woods. I'm Nigel Poor. We're the hosts and creators of Ear Hustle from PRX's Radiotopia. Ear Hustle is a show about life inside prison, but it's not your typical prison podcast. In this next season, we've got stories about the objects people keep inside their prison cells. About residents in a women's prison who say they want to stay there. And the most beautiful prison garden. Erlon, I will never forget it. Ear Hustle. Stories about life on the inside told by those who live it. Find Ear Hustle wherever you get your podcasts. From WABE in Atlanta, welcome to this Wednesday edition of Closer Look. I'm Rose Scott. We'll begin with this. The firing of the, of the Atlanta police officer charged in the killing of Rayshard Brooks last summer. Well, the decision has been reversed. He, he will be reinstated. The decision came earlier today from the Atlanta Civil Service Board. We'll have more on that in just a moment. But first this, as you just heard on NPR, the Centers for Disease Control Director Dr. Rochelle Walensky says the nation could be close to being out of the woods with the COVID-19 pandemic. However, the models give us an important reminder. They project that local conditions and emerging variants are putting many states at risk for increases in COVID-19 cases, especially if we do not increase the rate of vaccinations and if we do not keep our current mitigation strategies in place until we have a critical mass of people vaccinated. Now, coming up later, we'll hear how the city of Smyrna still plans to fight the virus after lifting some COVID-19 restrictions. Mayor Derek Norton joins me in just a moment. Now, here in Georgia, more than 6.2 million vaccine doses have been administered. And right now we are told that 26 percent of Georgians are fully vaccinated. Now, here's where we get some interesting discrepancy in numbers. The total number of cases confirmed, you know, we tell you all this every day, since last year, according to the Georgia Department of Health, is 882,764. Again, according to the Georgia Department of Public Health, the number of total confirmed cases, coronavirus cases, is 882,764. But that number is much, much higher The data that's provided by the Johns Hopkins Coronavirus Dashboard, it lists Georgia with more than a million confirmed cases and more than 20,000 deaths. So we're working to get some clarity for that. Now, as mentioned, the city's civil service board is reinstating former APD officer Garrett Roll after his Roth after his termination in regards to the shooting death of Rayshard Brooks in this five page decision. Former officer Garrett Roth, quote, was not afforded his right to do process, close quote. At this time, Roth still faces charges for fatally shooting Brooks last year in a southwest Atlanta Wendy's parking lot. The attorneys for Brooks families are holding a press conference at this moment. We'll have more on that later in the program. But joining me now is WABE legal analyst Paige Pate and defense attorney Pace. I know you're on the road. Thanks for taking the time. I appreciate it. Absolutely, Rose. First, Paige, your reaction to this decision by Atlanta Civil Service Board. Well, I'm not entirely surprised by it, and I think it is critical for everyone to understand that the board is not saying that Officer Rolf acted appropriately. They are not overturning the finding that he used excessive force. In fact, they didn't really address that at all. The only thing the board is doing is saying that the city 
did not follow its own policies and procedures when they terminated him so quickly uh, after after Brooks was shot. So it, it basically is a decision based on the process and not the merits of the case. Exactly. We should note that the Civil Service Board does not render a judgment in terms of Officer Roth's actions, but solely on the process to fire him. And in Page, also, the, the Civil Service Board has, although they're reversing the termination of Officer Garrett Roth, it's important to note, according to them, that because Officer Roth has criminal charges related to this incident, he will remain on administrative leave until those charges are resolved. So right, he right. still will I mean, receive that, that, payment. Yes, he, he will. And, and that's entirely appropriate, really. Um, when someone is under criminal investigation but has not been found guilty, they are presumed innocent. And for almost all state officers, uh, and I don't mean just police officers, but people that work in state government, elected and appointed officials, uh, they're given that presumption while the case is pending. They can't do their regular job. They're going to be suspended. But unless there's a separate finding, um, they will be suspended with pay and allowed to, to keep the position pending the outcome of the criminal case. And, Paige, according to the board, APD could conduct an assessment to determine if additional investigative actions are needed. So does how do you assess that? Is that they could come back and say, well, he, we are going to now proceed with terminating him again? Is that yeah, what it sounds yeah. like? Well, that's exactly right. I mean, nothing is to prevent APD from following the procedures it should have followed in the first place and, and done an investigation and made a finding that, you know, this guy is a danger to the department. And even if we take away his gun and put him at a desk or even send him home for a period of time, there are reasons why uh, he should clearly be terminated from the police department, public relations, you know, position of the department, consistency, whatever. Yeah, they can go back and do it the right way. Now, will they do that? That remains to be seen. Meanwhile, Paige, it's still the question I think you and I talked about this last time is what the district attorney, the Fulton County District Attorney's Office is doing because, again, these charges were brought under Paul Howard. He did not win re-election. Fonnie Willis is now the Fulton County District Attorney. It's still up to her office to decide whether or not they want to continue with the charges that were brought under Paul Howard, or could they drop the charges and initiate a new investigation? What's taking so long here? Well, I mean, I, I don't know the answer to that question. I think that, that probably has to come from the DA's office, uh, from Ms. Willis herself. I, I do know she has encountered some obstacles she did not anticipate. Uh, she assumed that you know, when she said she had a conflict, the AG's office would appoint another prosecutor. Well, clearly that didn't happen. Mm -hmm. So she now has to decide, am I going to simply abandon the case? Am I going to investigate it the way perhaps it should have been investigated prior to the indictment brought when Paul Howard was in office? Or do I try again to get somebody else to take it? Uh, you know, it, it's a it's an unfortunate position for this important case to be in when we really don't know if there's actually going to be a criminal determination of what he did, or now apparently even a civil determination on the department side. And if you're Officer Roth, and someone would say, well, let's be fair about this, because at some point you have to wonder, is there going to be a time limit on this? Could his defense say, look, you all need to do something now or give us some indication which way you're going to go? 
Yeah, I mean, they could do that, but I, I think if you're representing the officer at this point, you're fine with a delay. You know, if he's at home receiving his salary, you don't want to force him back into the department. Um, that's just going to create a lot more controversy and, and really force an issue you probably don't want to deal with now. And also, the longer the case, is, it remains uncertain as far as criminal prosecution. It's usually better for a defendant. Um, so if I'm the officer's lawyers, I'm, I'm happy about this decision, and I'm comfortable just sitting back and waiting. And Paige, before we let you go, there has been there have been some developments with another case we've been following, obviously, and that's with the Ahmaud Arbery shooting death. And since the last time I believe we've spoken, there now have been the hate crime charges. And no surprise for you for those three gentlemen. No surprise about the charges. Definitely surprised about the timing. Mm-hmm. Normally we see the federal government wait until the state case plays out, especially if they're murder charges, because they're convicted of murder, how much more time are you going to give them? But I think what this, the message this sends is that the new attorney general is going to be very serious about hate crime charges, going to be aggressive about pursuing them, and is not waiting on anybody. Mm. WABE legal analyst and defense attorney Paige Page, as always, I appreciate you taking the time on such short notice. Thank you, Paige. Thank you, Russ. And Closer Look continues now here on 90.1 WABE, Atlanta's choice for NPR. I'm Rose Scott. We know last year, we always keep going back to last year, we know that so many cities in our nation, well, they required residents to wear a face covering or a mask in all public buildings and spaces. And that includes the city of Smyrna. And now to discuss new changes and to talk more about other measures the city is taking to combat the coronavirus is Smyrna Mayor Derek Norton. And there's some news on this day as we have our conversation. Mayor Norton, thanks for taking the time. I appreciate it. Thank you. I appreciate the opportunity. Do you like remembering last year? <laughs> Do you like to go you know, back last to year se- last year? Seems like about 10 years. Uh, you know, you never thought you'd have to be dealing with the stuff you were dealing with. But yeah. um, there's no navigated it well. And I think there's light at the end of the tunnel now. There is no how to deal with a pandemic in the city of uh, Smyrna mayor guidebook. Nobody left me a manual on that. No. <laughs> Let's start here first with your reaction to Governor Brian Kemp removing many of the COVID-19 restrictions. Uh, you you agree with those? I think that most of the people in Georgia who have wanted to, I know particularly in the city of Smyrna, who want to get a vaccine have now been able to, they've had that opportunity for over a month. Um, and if they're choosing to protect themselves, I, you know, I think that I think that it's good to move in that direction of opening things back up. At some level, there's a tipping point where you, you, you can't cater to anybody that doesn't want to get it you, and punish the people that have gotten it. I've never been so happy to get a shot and neither neither has my wife, Laura, um, and, and we feel a lot better having done so. So um, I knew that that was coming. And, um, you know, we're, we're moving in that direction here in the city as well. On April 26th, the city of Smyrna, you all decided to lift the mass restrictions for the city. Any discussion, any hesitation at all about that? And what in what went into your decision? No, you know, it's not something you take lightly. You know, these decisions are important. You want to do everything you can to protect your staff and your citizens. Um, but for a month, any Georgian who wanted to get a vaccine could get one. Uh, in the city of Smyrna, we're one of two cities in the state that has their own emergency management agency. And through that, we were able to get doses from the state, Pfizer doses. uh, Three weeks ago, we got 200 doses, and the demand was here because appointments went uh, once it was posted on social media in 26 minutes. 
then one the way that works with the state is if you're if you show the ability to get those doses in arms, then they give you more. So the next week we got a thousand, got those out that Thursday and Friday at our community center. Then we got thirteen hundred more, and so it's just gone from there. So I, you know, when when we when we started this, I heard I was hearing of people going all over the state or having to travel to other states to get the vaccine. I feel like everybody in our city now who has wanted to get one has been able to get one. And uh, that went into my decision to to lift the mask mandate. Have you heard from residents, business owners that have some concerns? Very few. It's been uh, it's been well received. Generally, I'd say Uh, people are ready to get back to normal. They're ready to go on with their lives, see the light at the end of the tunnel. We've got events coming up in the city. Uh, Next week, we begin our food trucks again. We have our first concert in our concert series, June 12th. Um, so we're, we're slowly moving in that direction, uh, cautiously and, and uh, deliberately. And as we heard earlier coming into this segment on the day of this conversation, CDC Director Dr. Rochelle Walensky stated the nation is on a positive path, but also warned. The models give us an important reminder. They project that local conditions and emerging variants are putting many states at risk for increases in COVID-19 cases, especially if we do not increase the rate of vaccinations and if we do not keep our current mitigation strategies in place until we have a critical mass of people vaccinated. So, Mayor Norton, you talked about the response in terms of those getting uh, vaccinated, but as it relates to keeping those mitigation practices in place, can you understand where Dr. Walensky is coming from? Oh, I totally do. And and look, we're not we're, the the lifting the order doesn't mean people can't wear masks. You know, I think by now I'm I'm extremely proud of our citizens here in Smyrna. They they have uh, complied with the the mandate. Uh, they know what to do. I mean, nobody at this point in the process doesn't know to you know stay a little bit farther away from people and and wear a mask in closed settings. So no, I totally get that. And you know, the other thing that went into the decision. Um, if you look at a heat map of all of the, the cases and, and vaccination rates, really, uh, city of Smyrna is, you know, everybody around us has more cases and less people vaccinated than mm-hmm. we do. And our numbers, I think, in the county were almost 100 per 100,000 population, which was 0.124%. So all of those things combined went into that. And if you want to keep those great numbers, do you, you, you mentioned a concert series coming up. I don't know who's, who's first in that concert, but... Do you have, have some concerns with these mass gatherings that, you know, those numbers may be reversed? You know, I hope not. We're, we're encouraging people to wear masks. It's outside on the green. We're encouraging people to distance. Um, you know, and, it, you know, if, if we have a variant here or something changes in the environment, our team is watching closely every day. Uh, numbers We're at a 10 month low uh, this week. You know, if something changes, then we'll we'll react to that and do what we need to do to, to protect our to, to protect our citizens. If you're just joining us, I'm joined by Smyrna Mayor Derek Norton, and we're talking about his latest decision to lift mass restrictions, but also the city's ongoing response in fighting COVID-19. Let's go back a little bit to because you all have been offering services and resources for your citizens, especially for some of your older citizens. Will you all continue offering some of these special programs throughout the reign of the year or how will you assess when you may need to stop those? You know, when the demand is the demand is still there uh, and that's evidenced by every Friday at our community center from one to three. You don't have to have an appointment. It doesn't cost anything. All you got to do is show up with your ID and at one o'clock, that line is long and, and people, they move quickly through it, but the, but the demand is still there. 
We also uh, are taking doses into the community, into the, some of the more underserved communities in, in Smyrna, uh, because not everybody has transportation to get to the community center. Not everybody has the ability to do that. We've been at local churches in Rose Garden neighborhood off South Cobb Drive, over in Ward 7, um, and, and that's been well received too. So yeah, we're gonna continue to do everything that we can to make it as easy as possible in Smyrna for anybody that wants to get the Pfizer vaccine to get it. Do you also have concerns in terms of housing? And I'm not I'm not aware of if you all have a a huge waiting list of folks who might need help as it relates to the eviction process. Is that something that you all do? You all have programs in place to help those folks. We're, yeah, we're doing everything that we can. A lot of that has to do with the, the CARES money and stimulus money that is coming our the CARES money that came our way and stimulus money that's coming our way. Uh, once we get a little bit more guidance on how we can use that money. But yeah, that's that's uh, definitely a priority. And uh, getting help to the, the folks that need it most has been our priority from the beginning of, uh, of this pandemic. So much has been made in terms of what lessons Georgia, Georgia state officials have learned or did not learn through your assessment, if you had to. And to be fair, because I think you will be, how would you assess how the state has handled this from the beginning to now? Did it, did it get better? Did it as a flatline? That that's a that's a tough question. I, all I know is what we've done here in Smyrna, and and I couldn't be more proud of our staff, um, of our citizens. Uh, we we've, we've really stepped up in navigating this in a way that has been helpful to all of our citizens. We had uh, support Smyrna, which is a program to help neighbors in need here was born out of this pandemic. You know, some good things come out of bad situations and that was one of them. And it was a program where you could get a hundred dollar gift card to the grocery store and all you had to do was apply. And I called a lot of those recipients, uh, hundreds of them uh, last early last year. And they, that made a big difference. People that had lost their jobs. Uh, we waived water and sewer and sanitation, late fees. We talked with apartment owners and managers to your point about uh, evictions and, and slowing that process down, working with people kept everybody informed, gave hotspots to kids who didn't, maybe not, didn't have internet, but were having to, um, having to learn virtually. And, and we did a partnership with Tillman House, which is part of United, United First United Methodist Church, mm-hmm. um, to feed people. And we were doing over 100 meals a day in cooperation with some of the uh, restaurants here. So, you know, as far as statewide, you know, I, I focus more on what we're doing here uh, and what we're able to do under the governor's orders. And I, I'd be I think we're second to none in how we've um, navigated this. Let me ask you, then, how would you assess then your leadership during all this? What have you learned? Anything you would have done differently? Um, knowing what you know now. You know, you know, know what I know now? I, I think we wouldn't have done anything differently, really. Um, I think what I've learned the most is how great this community of Smyrna is, how resilient they are, how willing they are to, to, to help their neighbors in need. You know, the, when I got the idea of, from a, from a constituent about support Smyrna, I thought maybe we'd raise five or ten thousand dollars. You know, people could give online. If you gave twenty five dollars, you got a, a yard sign in your yard. And we raised one hundred and seventy thousand mm-hmm. dollars. And um, it just the way this community has stepped up and and, and faced this difficult environment um, has just been really something to watch. And I'm just really proud of our community. And finally, I want to end with the business owners and particularly the small business owners. There were, now we're hearing reports are that as restaurants and some of these smaller businesses are opening, they need workers. But, you know, there is a shortage. Uh, how would you assess what are you hearing from small business owners in the city of Smyrna? Are they looking for workers? Is there a, a, a shortage of folks that they need out there? 
We're we're hearing the same thing. Yeah, as I talk to restaurant owners and small business owners, they're having they're having trouble staffing right now, and I don't think that's unique to Smyrna. I think that's across the board. Mm-hmm. As as we've come out of this um, environment, it, people getting back to work, it, it's a it's a tough thing they're having to deal with right now. So yeah, we're definitely hearing that across the board here in Smyrna. All right. So in other words, there are jobs out in Smyrna. Is what you're saying? Absolutely. Come on. <laughs> Smyrna Mayor Derek Norton, thank you so much for taking the time. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks for the opportunity. Always good to be with you. Support for WABE comes from the Community Foundation for Greater Atlanta. You can go beyond giving to impact. Learn more at cfgreateratlanta.org. The field of mental health counseling is growing rapidly, and Richmond Graduate University can equip you with everything you need as a licensed professional counselor while integrating your faith into your clinical practice. Programs are offered in Atlanta, Chattanooga, and online. Apply today at richmont.edu. That's R-I-C-H-M-O-N-T dot E-D-U. And Closer Look continues now here on 90.1 WABE. This is Atlanta's Choice for NPR. As always, I'm Rose Scott. Next year's statewide races are shaping up to be quite interesting, and that includes the race for Georgia's Secretary of State. B. Wynn is the first state Democrat to announce her candidacy for Secretary of State and the fifth Democrat in Georgia's House to launch a bid for a statewide office in 2020. Joining me now to answer the question why, who else? Democratic state lawmaker B. Wynn. Thank you for taking the time. I appreciate it. Thanks, Rose. Thanks for having me on. Let's begin with the why. Uh, Why are you entering the race for Georgia's top election official? Thanks for asking, Rose. And, you know, I think a lot of times, um, you know, the trajectory of my life, it's been a calling and the feeling that it's a responsibility and duty to step up. Um, As you know, last year during the election hearings that occurred in the House, um, you know, we were subjected to sitting through committee meetings that were full of misinformation, conspiracy theories, and at times straight out lies. And when my Republican colleagues did not speak up to push back on those things, I recognized exactly how dangerous that was for our democracy. I also understood ahead of the legislative session that there would be attempts to roll back the right to vote, and that did indeed happen. Um, I have always you know, felt that voting is one of our most sacred fundamental rights and a tool that we use to push for change in this country. And as we see the erosion of democracy, I feel it's critically important to step up during this time. So this is more about Georgia's new election law or is it not so much as the current job that our current Secretary of State Brad Raffensperger is doing? Uh, To be fair, he did stand up to former President Donald Trump and all those supporters who, as we know, falsely claimed that the election was rigged or there was something nefarious going on, and we know that that wasn't the case? Or is it a combination of both in terms of, you know, why you're running? It's all of those things, Rose, and I think that's a fair question that, um, you know, many people did see our current Secretary of State refuse to not follow the law as it pertains to elections. And I think 
um, Georgians, and I was one of them, we were holding our breath during that time, watching to see what would unfold. Unfortunately, the way in which um, the political dynamic is, is the bar is set that low, that we were relieved that elected officials were following the law. And certainly Secretary of State has done that. However, the Secretary of State at the same time has had a history of pushing through voter suppression laws and supporting them. Um, an example is um, he is backing Senate Bill 202. And you know he went as far as to verbalize his support of eliminating no excuse absentee ballot voting, though Senate Bill 202 doesn't have that provision in it. Mm -hmm. But he came to our committee meeting and he said, yes, even though there is no evidence of voter fraud, I still support eliminating no excuse absentee ballot voting. Um, and, and, you know, the other day um, somebody reached out to me and he said, you know, I'm still thinking about the time when the secretary of state sent um, a member of his office to one of the voting precincts in my district with a firearm arm on his hip and demanded that they remove all the food and water in the precinct. And this happened in 2020. And the election workers were scared. And that's not the type of Secretary of State we should have. I mean, we can do better. In you Georgia. have proof of that infant, that incident, though, or this is just relayed to you. Oh, yeah. I mean, they reached out to me the day it happened and sent me the, the card of the person who showed mm -hmm. up. Um, and so, you know, I think Georgians have a better choice. We can have somebody who has a history like I do of also relying on facts and telling the truth but supports a, an expansive voter policy. Voter policy may be in, as they say, in your wheelhouse, but understanding the election system for an entire state, what's your response? Someone says, well, what is the, what is your background? What expert experience did you, do you have in that? Well, Rose, um, in the last four years that I've served in the state house, um, three of the four of the years, all election bills went through my committee. I was successful in overturning the exact match law that froze the voter registrations of 53,000 Georgians in 2018. Um, and one of those things is because of my experience having a last name that people just can't spell or just can't say. Um, in fact, um, during that committee meeting, I brought every single notice that uh, my committee chairs had sent me as well as, um, you know, uh, <laughs> they misspelled my name on the government website and said, we cannot have a policy in place that is contingent mm -hmm. on, on it's people entering in names wrong because our brains are just trained to think a certain way. Um, and I would also say the work on the ground that I have done is extremely critical. One of the reasons I care so much about our voter laws is because when you are a poll monitor, you encounter voters who have issues with voting. When you are an organizer, and you're going door to door to cure ballots that have been rejected or flagged for rejection, you develop personal connections with the people who are facing challenges when it comes to voting. Democratic state lawmaker B. Wynn, folks are familiar with you as a state lawmaker. Have you had conversations with the state party about resources they could provide for you? <laughs> It's going to be, a, it appears it's going well, to be a crowded I race. I am part of the state party, actually. Well, I know. That's what I'm uh, saying. Have you had conversations <laughs> with them? They don't always support everybody. Let's just be very fair on, on both sides. Because you might have a lot of people running from from the same parties and, you know, it may not be enough Oh, absolutely. Um, you know, you know I'm the vice chair for, for the Democratic State Party of Georgia. 
And one of the things that we do do is we sit out on Democratic primaries. And that is fair because um, as a state party, our responsibility is to support the Democrat who emerges out of a primary election. So I know that if I am to emerge out of a primary election, my Democratic Party of Georgia will certainly have my back. But up until that, it's all on you. It is all on me. It's all on me and the team that I've built and the Georgians who are excited about my race. Um, yesterday, um, I announced yesterday, and I think um, as of this afternoon, I think it's, you know, we've had 700 individual donors, people from across the state of Georgia, and also other people in the country who are watching our state because they know that we were the ones who delivered those two U.S. Senate seats. Let's talk about 2020, 2022 overall, because uh, I said coming to the state, in, into this segment, it appears it's going to be very interesting. Um, have you had any conversations with Democratic leader Stacey Abrams about whether or not she should run? I know what you're going to tell me. I just want to ask it on the record, I think. Because as, as you know, people... What do you think I'm going to tell you, Rose? Well, <laughs> let me get the question out. Have you had any conversations with Stacey okay. Abrams about whether or not she's going to run? If you had to, if you wanted to give an answer, what would you say? She's leaning yes, no, for governor? <laughs> I can't speak about that on behalf of Stacey Abrams. I've certainly had conversations with her um, throughout the last year and in this year. And every time I've talked to her, I've told her, Stacey, I have your back. We are waiting for you to announce or we are waiting to support you in whatever you choose to do next. Um, but absolutely, I want Stacey Abrams to run for governor um, and I will do everything I can to get her elected and I will respect whatever decision she chooses to make in that in regards of whether or not she chooses to run. And what do you want to say to folks who may have some, some concerns that while you are, you've launched this campaign to become Georgia's next Secretary of State, but you're also still a state lawmaker in a sense that you don't, you know, your duties, you don't forget about those duties to your constituents that voted you in that seat. My constituents have actually reached out, many of them, and they are very excited. And they said, we will have your back on this and we will do whatever it takes to get you to the win. And I have been committed to them since the day I got elected and I will continue to be committed to them. They come first um, and I will continue to serve in the legislature. I have never taken that job lightly. Um, I've given that job everything that I possibly can. And I know that we are going to have a tough year ahead of us with redistricting in the fall, and we will have a tough 2022 legislative session. Um, but I think my constituents know that I've demonstrated my commitment to them, and I'm going to continue to do that. Democratic state lawmaker B. Wynn, she has launched a bid for a statewide office in 2022 as the Georgia Secretary of State. Thank you so much for taking the time. I really appreciate it, as always, on short notice we've had a lot of conversations today on short notice but i appreciate you taking the time thank you thank you rose
yes, it's that time of year. Closer Look continues now here on 90.1 WABE. Atlanta's Choice for NPR. I'm Rose Scott. I know. Get your Kleenex out. Get your cameras out, camera phones. Graduations from pre-K to college. Yes, they have pre-K graduations. I should know because I've been to one. It was over in like five minutes. But nevertheless, he graduated. For the past few years in this program, I've spoken to a lot of area graduates about their journeys and hopes for the future. Last year, we had to take a brief pause due to the COVID-19 pandemic. But now we're back and ready to hear more great stories from the class of 2021. Joining me now to kick off this series, he's the first one up. It's Andre Lugwit, a chemistry student from Clayton State University. Andre, thank you for taking the time. I appreciate it. Thank you so much for this opportunity, Rose. How are you? How has this last year been for you? It's been a... Unlike anything I've, I've ever experienced, uh, <laughs> having to adapt my learning style to online learning, it, it's been uh, a trip for everybody, I'd have to say. How did you adapt? What did you, how'd you get through it? Uh, I had to double down on everything I knew about networking and using computers uh, for everything from textbooks and communicating with my professors and learning uh to do pretty technical stuff, uh, including a little bit of computer coding, which was, I think, very helpful uh, for the future. And as a chemistry student, you used to being in the lab and doing all that. I guess that had to be a little shock to your system as well, right? Yeah, uh, being in the lab is, I think, the bread and butter of being a chemist. You, you get to, to experience firsthand the chemical changes that you're uh, that you're making, and a lot of the uh, systems. Uh, it's, I think, uh, difficult to do that kind of research at home when you're away from the lab. So we had to make do and uh, institute some more policies where we'd take turns, shifts in the lab using equipment, and it, everybody came together pretty well to to overcome those odds and, and keep this learning on track. Let's go back a little bit to your roots. You grew up in South Georgia, right? Yeah, little Wake Cross, uh, Georgia, yeah, Ware County, 912 crew. Now you're down. Is that in the old Okie Finoki area? Oh, yeah, I'm a swamp kid. <laughs> now, see, I, would, I would never call you that because you can call yourself that, but I would never call you that swamp kid. Get out of here. What was it's it like? A- Term of endearment. Uh, it, it's uh, pretty rural. Yeah. Uh, it's pretty out, out country. Living in Atlanta now for a little over a decade, it's a night and day as far as uh, the way things usually uh, take place. There's a lot more uh, people oriented stuff to do up here and yeah. down there. There's way more nature to, to look at and experience. Well, and let's be clear, Andre, we don't have to worry about gators coming up, you know, in the morning on your porch. At least not where I live. <laughs> <laughs> right. No, uh, you don't really have to worry about the gators going up on, on your porch unless you got uh, little pooches on the porches. <laughs> Tell me about uh, your childhood, because I understand a lot of that in terms of what your parents were into your father. A lot of that has shaped kind of your interest in, in what you want to do. Oh, definitely. My father really instilled in me an intellectual desire Uh curiosity to want to learn more and try to see things from new perspectives. My father's uh, from Colombia as well, so I grew up with an international perspective in mm-hmm. an area that's pretty socially homogenous. It's not as much diversity in rural Georgia and mm-hmm. South Georgia. So uh, I 
my father definitely helped shape a lot of the way that uh, I, I perceive things um, and, and particularly the way that I like to care for the environment. Um, and uh, my mother definitely instilled a, a pretty gracious heart uh, in me as well. So I, between my mother, my father, and my sister, Michelle, I, I think uh, I turned out okay. <laughs> Let's talk about your passion for the environment. Um, and what exactly did your father do? He's a soil conservationist. He works for the NRCS, which is a part of the uh, USDA. He goes around and uh, maps soils all around the South. When you assess, and this is through your personal lens, when you assess how we, and we'll just say as a nation, we won't pick on Georgia, but as a nation, and we've we've come a long way in terms of you know sustainability and obviously um, concerns about the environment. Um, how would you assess how we as a nation, how we're doing now in terms of, of efforts to really get people, everyone on board in terms of understanding the importance of, of protecting our, our environment? It, uh, there's far more awareness now, and I can see it starting to grow even more here in Atlanta, uh, in the Atlanta area. But I think sustainability as uh, a public uh opinion is still in its infancy and we're still learning a lot about uh, some of the, the negative effects of our like plastic consumption mm-hmm. of our uh, uh, different like air pollution uh, we're still seeing some of the effects creeping up on us and it's not well known yet and i think um if I had to give a, a class grade, I would give us about a, a B, mm-hmm. B plus, uh, as far as uh, how well we're educating the, the general populace um, as to how uh, things are, are, are being polluted. But uh, I think there's still, for instance, uh, looking out uh, on the roads, you mm-hmm. see a lot of trash and little plastics. And I know some people say, well, it's just like a little gum wrapper. Mm-hmm. Well, it's the little things that are hard to collect sure. on down the road. And eventually they make their ways down to the ocean. Um, if and It's easier to, to net larger things, but the, the microplastics might be causing some deleterious effects on our health uh, in the long term. Well, and we've all seen, you know, video footage of the, the garbage, trash, whatever you want to call it, plastic that is just floating and in, in out there in, in some of our waterways. Um, why do you think it's still such a hard message to get across to some people? Or not just to people, because we want to be fair, because a lot of our products that we, that we buy, that we purchase, everything that we bring into our homes, that comes from manufacturers. So why do you think it's still such a, a hard message? Uh, sale, I guess, for folks to understand. And maybe people say, well, if you give me an alternative to my grocery shopping plastic bag, then I'll take it. What are your, what's your uh, response to that? So uh, I think a great way to sum it up is out of sight, out of mind. A lot of people don't know where the, the garbage ends up and how it collects in huge piles uh, um, in different places of the earth. Uh, it because it's out of sight and out of mind, it's not something that people think about whenever they're in the aisles. Like, oh, what's going to happen to uh, this bottle of uh, water or something? Uh, once you finish the water that's inside, is there a way to reuse this plastic? And thankfully, we've been pushing hard for uh, recycling plastics and, um, and moving away from plastic, maybe something that's easier to recycle like glass. Mm-hmm. But uh, it's still an uphill battle because it's so cheap to to build something out of fresh plastic mm-hmm. um that it 
the economic incentive isn't quite there yet. If you just join us, I'm joined by Andre Lugwit. He's a chemistry student from Clayton State University. He kicks off our Closer Looks annual graduate series profile. And, you know, this is your, you're getting a degree in chemistry, but this is also a second degree for you, correct? <laughs> yes. I, I you just love school, degree. don't you, Andre? <laughs> I really do. Uh, going back to school when you're older, uh, it's you already have a good idea of who you are. So you're not doing the dual uh, learning technical stuff and then also learning who you are outside of uh, outside of your home. So going back to school is way more fun as you uh, as you're older and you're better aware of how you best learn. So uh, I really enjoy school. My first degree was at uh, Georgia State mm-hmm. University in political science. Uh, that goes back to uh, my father being an intellectual and putting that in me. Uh, I, I just enjoy learning. It doesn't really matter what. Uh, I like the details. I understand. I hear you. In other words, I just hope for me to get a PhD is what you're saying. <laughs> That's the goal. I made a deal with my wife that I go ahead and get into business and uh, make some money before I go back to grad school. But eventually, uh, eventually I'll get there. Speaking of the future, what do you want to do? How do you want to wrap all of what you have achieved so far? And then also with this passion you have for the environment, what do you want to do? So the way I see things going, uh, I believe with the, uh, our new computational prowess, uh, I believe that a lot more chemistry is going to be able to be simulated on computers. So if I go back for my PhD, I want to do something where I can uh, use computers to simulate these chemical reactions. It'll decrease our need for uh, for reagents, which is very costly to purchase, but also very costly to uh, have in store, mm-hmm. and also very costly to uh, to dispose of. So by being able to use just a computer to simulate uh, the um, uh, physical interactions between the chemicals. I think that is uh, like the way that chemistry will eventually go. Using chemistry and and sustainability for the environment. Especially there. Um, Understanding the way that they things interact at the chemical level Mm -hmm. helps you paint a better macroscopic picture. And let me ask you this before I let you go. Uh, how optimistic are you that we'll get to some point, some point in this, well, in your lifetime that we will? And what is, an, uh, I guess, a proper metric to assess when this nation has, received, has, has achieved this, this plateau of really being truly a, 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 a nation that has taken all of these green initiatives, climate initiatives, whatever you want to call it, initiatives, and we've reached this state where we are truly a sustainable nation and we've reduced a whole lot of these gases and all this other stuff that folks argue about. Is that, is that reachable in your lifetime? Uh, I, I think it's a necessity. I think it will be required to be reached in, within my lifetime, within our lifetimes. Uh, I think the next big debacle we have to face as society is going to be climate change. And mm-hmm. a lot of the businesses that put out net zero policies or uh, decreasing our emissions by so, so much percentage by this uh, amount of time, I think those are very positive pushes that uh, start at the policy level and then work their way down. It's good to have those leaders uh, talking about that. It will come about in our lifetime as as a necessity. <laughs> when you think back to when you were little, growing up down there in South Georgia, watching your dad do his work and your mom 
did you imagine you would have taken that same route even at that early of an age? It, hindsight makes it very apparent. <laughs> it, it makes sense how I got here doing uh, doing what I'm doing now. And how excited are you for this graduation, your second degree, Clayton State University, bachelor's uh, degree in chemistry? I, I'm super excited about it. I'm very excited. My first degree, it, it was... It was, as a as a professor put it, it was for funsies. I really enjoyed it. This one, this one was equally fun, but also very practical. Funsies. <laughs> for funsies. Yep. The professor told you that at Georgia State. <laughs> uh, you have to say their name. For a while. His name is Dr. Solomon. He taught me linear algebra back in 2010. <laughs> Funzy. Well, Andre, best of luck to you. Congratulations. Best of luck to you and your family. Thank you for taking the time. Thank you for kicking off this year's Closer Looks uh, annual graduate profile series. I really appreciate it. Andre Leguet, a chemistry student from Clayton State University. Thank you so much, Andre. I really appreciate it. Andre, I got to tell you, you are the most laid. I thought I was laid back and cool. Brother, you are like the... (laughs) most laid back and cool person I've ever interviewed on this show. And I love it. Thank you so much, Rose. (laughs) I've been listening to your show for a long time. This has been a pleasure and an honor. Thank you so much. All right. I appreciate it. Best of luck to you. And that's it for this edition of Closer Look, which is produced by Grace Walker and LaShawn Hudson. Our engineer is Kevin Rinker. And a programming note, WABE News will have more on the news related today to the Atlanta Civil Service Board reinstating Officer Garrett Roth, who had been terminated due to his involvement in the shooting death of Rayshard Brooks. WAB News' Lisa Hagen will have more on that later today during All Things Considered, hosted here locally by Jim Burst. If you missed any of today's show, you can always find it online at wabe.org slash Closer Look. And of course, y'all know Closer Look weeknights at 7 p.m. as well as in our podcast. So subscribe to Closer Look wherever you like. Stay tuned to 90.1 WABE, Atlanta's choice for NPR. I'm Rose Scott. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. The Gold Dome Scramble podcast is now plugged in, a WABE politics podcast. New name, same on-the-ground reporting from us. WABE politics reporters Sam Greenglass and Raul Bally. We'll cover local, state, and national politics as we talk to politicians and voters to break down each week's biggest headlines. New episodes drop on Fridays. Listen and subscribe at WABE.org or your favorite podcast platform. WABE.